Job chapter 2. And I was, I will tell you, I was a bit shocked in a good way as to the response uh, that we had this last week when it came to Job chapter 1. You know, I, I told you how difficult this book can be sometimes as we read it devotionally at home or maybe through your Bible reading. And as we approached it, just the, the overwhelming response of people just really appreciating this book and, and understanding that we are all going through seasons. We all go through a season where we feel like uh, we are having a Job experience of trials and testings of our life. I really believe that God is going to speak to us through this book. The title of today's message is Qualities Needed in the Trial. Qualities Needed in the Trial. There are certain qualities that we need in the trial. After knowing the indispensable qualities of godly character, we want to know specifically what is it that we need when it comes to being in the trial. Because what we've learned so far is that here Job teaches us the value of trusting God in the test. Have you ever had a test that it's been difficult and, and you don't know what to lean on, you don't know what to trust, you don't know what the truth is, you don't know what the answer is. You're asking yourself as to why. But here Job is going to teach us through this entire book now the value of patience and of trusting God no matter what. In fact, not only no matter what, trusting God in adversity. There are times in our lives where we can trust God and it is easy to trust God sometimes or is it, we're a little bit more prone to trust God during the good times or during the blessed times in our lives. Or we're living that blessed life, we're trusting God. But what about during adversity? Are we, are we trusting God? Is our reliance and is our dependence on God? We see here that Job was an upright man in chapter 1. We're introduced to him and his family. But that the enemy came and he went before the presence of the Lord testing Job's now, or trying Job, as it was a test for him, and trying Job's character and integrity. And what did he do? We see that in, in one moment, in one single moment, things can change. In one single moment, your life can change dramatically. But what are you going to do if that happens? Or not even if, but when that does happen. Because for Job, listen what what happened. His children die, his possessions were gone. The enemy came and attacked his life so vividly, so graphically that he felt it. It was, it was very much so felt that at the end of chapter 1, Job now shaves his head, draws ashes. He mourns. He falls to the ground and starts to worship. He says, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return there. Lord, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You give and you take away. Do you know that Job really understood this? And it's not until you go through suffering that you will understand. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord blessed me. He is praised God when He gave it to me. And also praise God when He chose to remove it now. I praise God, Job is saying, through every season in life. I even praise God through the seasons of loss. What happens when you are going through a season of loss? Are you praising God? And the reason why he said this that Naked I came, naked I'm going to now, die. I didn't bring nothing, no, I'm taking nothing with me. Was because Job understood that nothing belonged to him. Job understood very much so that God owns it all. And because God owns it all, he has the right to take it away. 
And, and he has every right to without any explanations. He held on to everything in life loosely where it's like, Lord, if you're going to take it, then Lord, blessed be your name. Are you holding on to something as we talked about last week that, that maybe if God were to remove it, you would turn your back on him? There are often times where God removes something. He tries us or God allows something to be removed from what we have. Specifically, even children. Think about that. Your children's health. What's going to happen? Are you still going to trust God? And, 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 and here we see that Job didn't hold on to any possessions. The only thing that Job held on to was his integrity. And I pray that today we would learn that. That we would hold on to more than anything in life. We would hold on to integrity. Because integrity is really what's going to keep us in the moments of testing. Your integrity. That's what's really going to matter. Through moments of testing that you would hold on to integrity. And, and he held on to that. He trusted God even when he didn't understand what God was doing. And he blessed God even when he didn't understand what God was doing. There are times maybe in our lives or, or maybe today that you don't understand what God is doing. But I want to encourage you to hold on to your integrity and say, Lord, I trust you. Blessed be your name when, Lord, you have shown me what you're doing. And when I don't understand what you're doing, blessed be your name. And let's see in the very last verse, 22 of chapter 1, because it teaches us here a lesson. And in all of this, Job did not sin in everything. Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Now, what does it teach us here about Job's character? That, that he did not now charge. He did not blame God. He didn't say this is God's fault. The world always wants someone to find someone to blame. In our nature, in our sin, we are always looking for someone to blame for our suffering. We are looking always for someone to justify. It's their fault that I'm going through this. It is that person's responsibility for that we're going through this. We will always look to direct the blame or the guilt of our suffering on someone else. Do you notice how Job maintained his integrity and he did not sin? Well, how did he not sin? It tells us in verse 22 that by not charging God with any wrong, he did not blame God. What is it that we shared last week and even before times past? That our discouragement, that our trial, it's not an excuse for our disobedience. Even then, Job did not sin. Because he had an attitude, Lord, your will, not my will, even in the trial. Lord, your will, not my will, even in the trial. Now, what we're going to learn today, even from chapters 2 and on, that just because you're walking close to God, this is even the central theme of the book, just because you're walking close to God doesn't mean that you are not subject to suffering. There are times where we believe that, that because I am walking with the Lord, because I'm walking in a holy life, because I'm walking close to God, that, that the Lord is not going to allow me to go through this. That is not true. That is not biblical. We are not exempt from suffering even when we're walking righteously with God. But we also must know, and we will learn this even today, that suffering also is not always directly a consequence for sin. We're going to see that Job's friends start to try to blame him, that he is responsible, that he is in now some way sinning, that he has to repent, and that's the reason why he's going through this suffering. That, it, that is theologically wrong. That is not right. That's not sound. There are times in our lives where we're going to be walking so close to God, and then we're going to go through the trial and not understand why, right? 
But we, in those moments, learn to trust God, learn to have patience, learn to endure. Because even in those moments, we can learn to trust the Lord. And we ask the Lord, how is it that a God so good can do this? How is it that God with a wonderful plan can allow this? Well, I want to remind you that God's wonderful plan, to Him wonderful, is from His perspective, and it's not from yours. A good plan, a wonderful plan, in our perspective, can mean something completely different than what it looks like for God. And understand this, our God is faithful. He will see you through through every season in life. I like what Romans 11.33 says, and I, I want you to write this down before we even go in to Job 2, because it says, Oh, the depths, the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. His ways are past finding out. What does that mean about our, our all-powerful, sovereign God? That there are going to be times in your life, in our lives, where we do not understand what's taking place. His ways are past finding out. There are things that you don't know. And I'll tell you, there is nothing wrong with asking God why. There's nothing wrong with that. But as long as you realize that God is not always going to give you the answer as to why, He's not always going to give you that. Or does He owe you an explanation as to why He does things and why He doesn't do things? He is God and we are not. Do you understand this? How we're going to start to see the, the sovereignty and the power of God that we can trust Him even when you do not have an explanation. Because we do not live on explanations. We live on promises. We do not live on explanations. We live on promises. Therefore, we should not Live to expect an explanation. We shouldn't live on the why always. We should live on the faith. On faith. Let's go ahead and read Job 2. Because it says that he did not sin, right? But in Job 2, verse 1, it says, Again, there was a day when the sons of God, or the angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. Satan came also before the presence of God. We know that this is... The second time, Job passed the first test. Does that mean there's not going to be more tests coming your way? Absolutely not. You passed the first test. Guess what happens? There are more tests lined up in your spiritual walk for you. But one of the things you have to appreciate about the test, about the trial, that you don't receive a test until God knows the difficulty of that test for you. <laughs> right? Before you receive any trial, before any trial goes before you, it first has gone before the presence of God, before that trial gets to you. And that is so comforting for any trial and any test that we are about to face, that we know this trial, this test, went before the presence of God, before it went before me. Now let's read this. And it says here, And saying, Come also among them to present himself before the Lord. We see here the strategies of Satan. That he presents himself before God because he knows that God has the authority. That Satan cannot do nothing outside of God's authority, outside of God's sovereignty, outside of God's plan, outside of God's permission. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come from? Satan answered. And the Lord said, from going to and fro the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Satan is roaming around the earth. We see that. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless man. Again, look at these qualities. Blameless, an upright man on the earth, a man who fears God and who shuns evil. These are the qualities that we know from Job is uprightness, that he is not 
displaying any type of hypocrisy or duplicity that he now demonstrates integrity. And still, I love that, and still, and still, that is powerful right there. And still, he holds fast or he maintains his integrity. In the moment of trial, do you still, listen to that word, do you still maintain or hold fast now to your integrity? The only thing that you should be concerned about maintaining 24-7 is your integrity. Your, in fact, your integrity is one of the most valuable things of your character. It is your character. It is your character. And he still maintained his integrity. There's a lot of times that we are focused more on maintaining a bank account, maintaining a relationship, maintaining a status, maintaining a following. What about maintaining your integrity? How much maintaining do you focus on when it comes to your integrity? Because still, even in the trial, he maintained his integrity. He was still following God. He didn't say, you know what, the, the, I, I feel the suffering. I feel the heat. I feel the pressure. My integrity, let's throw that out the window. I'm going to start following the world. I'm going to turn my back on God. I'm focused on the trial instead of focused on trusting on God. What the enemy wants you to do is to focus on suffering. That's what the enemy wants you to do. Do you see he still maintained his integrity? Although you incited me against him to destroy him without a cause. What does the enemy want to do? He wants to incite God against you. The enemy is an accuser. He's trying to build a case against you. He's looking for every reason to build a case against you. And the Lord said, God said, Remember now that you try to now bring Job to be against me? You incited me to be against Job? You can't even try to accuse Job and still he maintains his integrity. I pray that no matter what season you're in in life today, no matter how hard you feel the accuser coming against you, that you would maintain your integrity. Because that's what really defines you before the presence of God. That is your identity before the presence of God, your integrity. It says here, verse 4, So Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. Well, he says, look it, you've maybe removed his possessions, but he still has his health. He is perfectly fine himself. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. Now, why don't you touch his health, and then he's going to curse you to your face. Why don't you give him a little bit of, not emotional loss or pain, give him a little bit of physical pain that he has to endure physically and seek him turn his back on you. Do you turn your back on God when things don't go your way? In suffering, in moments of suffering? There are times where we say, Lord, I, 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 I absolutely despise this season of life. Or you start to say, I hate how my life is. Therefore, I want nothing to do with God. That is not what Job did. Even in the trial, look what it says. So Satan comes up and says, why don't you attack his health now? Just see that he's not going to curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, let's keep reading verse 6. Now, behold, he is in your hand. But spare his life. But spare his life. Now, as we're starting to learn this, are, are we, are, as we're starting to go through this, we're going to see that God carries Job through every season that Job goes through. 
I want you to know today that God will carry you. And that, that, that's so comforting to me, and I, I pray that it is to you, that God carries you through every trial. That God, if your trust is in Him, He's going to carry you from one trial to the other, and He's going to sustain you. I love in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 30, when, when the Lord is reminding now the nation of Israel that He sustained them, He carried them in the wilderness. You might feel like you're in the wilderness being tested or tried, but God is carrying you. Look back. How many times did God carry you through that season? And you see the faithfulness of God that He has sustained you. But now you see that the Lord is permitting that now the enemies stretch out against now Job's health. But as the Lord permitted him, the Lord also protected Job. Do you know that God, not only is He sovereign, but He also protects you now in the moments of testing? He, there is a protection over your life. There is a hedge of protection over your life as you're going through those trials. And we're going to see that for Job here. And, and, and he, not only did He spare his life, but He protected him in the trial. Verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a pot here, Job, a pot shirt in which to scrape himself where he sat in the midst of ashes. It said that he had boils from head to toe. They were so painful, these boils filled with pus. If you study this. That he went and he grabbed a broken piece of pottery. He sat in ashes. And, and what was the remains now of his property and of his possessions. He sat there and started to scrape his face now with a piece of clay. Because it was so itching and it was so painful. Just imagine that scene. Imagine going and grabbing a, a broken glass or a, a pot of clay and grabbing it. And you're saying I have to scratch my face in this while I sit in ashes because of the misery that you find yourself in. This is the type of pain that Job was experiencing. It was a painful experience in the trial. And it says, now then, his wife said to him, now notice his wife. And at first when I read this, I would think, well, man, his wife is not an encourager. <laughs> well, let's, let's look at what she says. And then his wife said, do you still hold fast your integrity? As she looks at her husband, do you still maintain your integrity? Now, curse God and die. <laughs> well, those are some words of encouragement for her husband, right? But you see that her, his wife is also going through it. Just think about this. His wife was married to a man that was the greatest in the East, had the children, had the possessions, had everything as well. She is going through it as well. And she finally, as the weaker vessel, learned this, the wife is the weaker vessel. The wife will not be able to endure the same type of trial that the husband or the man can sometimes. That's exactly why the husbands are called to lead. Because sometimes the weaker vessel will not have the endurance spiritually and emotionally. And that's just biblical. That God designed and built them different ways. We see this right away. And what does he say? Curse God and die. But think about what Job says in verse 10. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Oh, wow. Man, this is what you should tell your wife. No, I'm not. I'm just kidding. Don't, do not say this. But think about this. Look, what does he tell her? He listens to her, but then he tells her the truth. He tells her the truth. He says, no, You're speaking as someone that doesn't understand. Foolish doesn't mean that, she, that, that she's uh, not only wrong, but she, you're speaking of someone that doesn't understand right now what you're saying. 
He's not trying to speak or demean or speak down to her. He's just saying, you know what, uh, honey, you're just speaking to someone that doesn't understand what's taking place here now. And it says, shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity in all this? Job did not sin with his lips. Now, what did Job say? How did he maintain his integrity? How did he un maintain his integrity? But he, because he told his wife, shall I accept only the good from God, but not accept adversity? There are times where we want to welcome the blessing, but when it comes to adversity, then we don't want to be a Christian. <laughs> you see, you see how, how Job is maintaining his integrity by telling his wife, I am going to now maintain my integrity by accepting the good, but also accepting the adversity. I am a Christian through the blessing, and I am a Christian through the adversity. What is he saying here? I am accepting whatever and everything that God has for me. I'm not fighting against God. I'm accepting everything that God has for me. I might not understand why He has me here. I might understand why He has allowed me, put me through this, but I am accepting everything that God has for me. There are times where we want to fight against with everything that God has for us, against the adversity. Instead of saying that we are fighting it spiritually, we try to fight adversity in the flesh. And I see a lot of people that are fighting adversity in the flesh. Either they are paralyzed and bound by fear, or they're trying to fight adversity as an advocate against the strategies of Satan the wrong way. You see here how he is accepting now adversity from the Lord. He said, I'm going to submit to the Lord no matter what. I'm going to submit to the Lord no matter what. And then verse 10, at the end of it says, In all of this, Job did not sin with what? Circle that, please, church. With his lips. <laughs> with his lips now. In the New Living Translation, it says, Then Job said, You talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? In all this, Job said nothing wrong. See, he wouldn't give up his faith. He wouldn't give his, up his integrity. But it said he didn't sin with what? With his lips. Because in the trial, that's one of the first things that we go to. To sin with our lips. Sin with our lips. I, I pray that this year, we would have, and, I, and write this down please, the resolution of the tongue. I was reading this and the Lord reminded me that I, I pray that you are, would have the resolution of the tongue this year. Because in the trial, guess what you are, are easily to do? You're easily to try to blame someone. Easily with your lips, you try to complain. Easily with your lips, we try to go out and try to find and sin with our lips. Notice how it says this in, in, in that very verse, verse 10, did not sin with his lips. You know some of the qualities that we need in the trial? Is to be able to say, Lord, close my lips in the trial. Because we can get in trouble. We can get very in trouble. And it's very dangerous to just let our tongue loose while we're going in the trial. We will regret it. We will regret it. We will regret it. In, in James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, you know what it tells us about the qualities that you need in a trial? If you're going through a trial right now at home, in your marriage, in your family, maybe in your spiritual walk, you're going through a trial. James 1, 19 and 20 tells us this. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man, he's speaking to a church that's going through trials. In James, 
He's speaking through a church that is going through persecution. As you're going through persecution, as you're going through attacks, as you're going through trials, James 1.19. Then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear through the trial, be quick to listen in the trial, and be slow to speak in every trial. If you know you're going through a trial, start praying immediately. Lord, I'm going through a trial. Let me be slow to speak because I'm going through a trial right now. And let me be quick to listen specifically in the trial. These are the qualities that you need in a trial. To say, Lord, help me be quick to listen and slow to speak. For the wrath of man, listen to this, verse 20. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The wrath of man is always demonstrated through the lips of man. That's why he says to be slow to speak. Because the wrath of man easily is now manifested in the trial. And easily you will open your mouth as the, the, in anger, in resentment, in bitterness with the lips and start sinning with the lips. And that never produces the righteousness of God. You better be careful that you take care of your lips in the trial. Especially if you're in an argument, if you're in something that you don't approve of, something that you don't like, your heart is hard, you make sure you tell the Lord and you pray, say, God, I am upset right now. I'm going through this trial. I'm not very happy right now. But Lord, you shut my lips because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Memorize that. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of man. James is talking to a persecuted church in a trial. In a trial. Psalms 39 verse 1. Write this one down too. The psalmist says, I will guard my ways, lest I sin with my tongue. The resolution of the tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. When the wicked are before me, what do we try to do? We try to just bad mouth. We try to, in the trial, we try to speak out. We try to let everyone know what we hear. Everybody, and even in today's world, everybody feels that they're entitled to an opinion now. And I need my voice to be heard. And I want them to know what I'm saying. Look what the psalmist David says. He would say, Lord, in the presence of wickedness and wicked men, Lord, please close my mouth with a muzzle. Like those things that you put on an animal to close their mouth. Close my mouth with a muzzle when I'm in the presence of the wicked. Lest I sin with my tongue. That's one of the easiest ways to sin with our mouth. And, and that's why it's important for wives and for husbands when you see your husband going through a trial, please guard your words. Please guard your words when you see your husband going through a trial. Because men specifically, we see here, do not dwell good or well in these seasons or times of vulnerability. We're going to see that Job doesn't handle it. I think people laugh all the time, right? Where, you know, you see your wife get a cold and she's still doing everything, but a man gets a cold. It's like, man... You know, everything stops, you know. You can't handle it. He doesn't, dwell, doesn't really go well when it times to the seasons of weakness and vulnerability. You see, here we, we, we start to learn a lesson when it comes to husbands and wife that, that nobody's words matter most to a husband when he's going through a trial than his wife's. And, and for a wife, never suggest, never suggest to your husband or never suggest to anyone to compromise their integrity, even if it's going to offer temporary relief. Sometimes we see, this is going to offer me temporary relief. Let me just compromise my integrity. Because this is going to offer me temporary relief. That's not a way of maintaining your integrity. You see, what Job needed is his wife to say, you know what, whatever you do, do not compromise. 
We'll get through this together. Maintain your integrity. We're going to trust in God together. Let's endure. Let's walk with God. And Job, what does he do? He listens to his wife, but he tells her the truth. And he, he's now using this circumstance to teach her about what he's learned about God in the middle of this fire. You see that this, this, this opposition, it's an opportunity to learn and to teach someone about what you know about God. And what does he do? He mar he, he's modeling something for her. He's modeling this verbal purity that she needs to hear. I pray that you model now verbal purity with those that are around you. That you say, you know what, I'm not going to sin with my lips. No matter what, I'm not going to sin with my lips. Now let's read verse 11. It goes on and says this. Now when Job's three friends... Now Job had three friends. Let's find out a little bit about these guys because you're going to really be surprised in the dynamics of what takes place here now. Heard of all his adversity... That they came upon him, each one came from his own place. And these are his three friends. They heard about it. They made an appointment to come to see him, to mourn with him, and to now comfort him. And they came without being asked. That's great. I mean, we have to at least give it to them that, that, that they came. They, they didn't have to be asked. They were there to support Job, his friend. Eliaphaz, the Temanite, Biliad, the Shunite, and Zophar, the Namathite. For they had made an appointment, look it, together to come and to mourn with him and to comfort him. They came to comfort him. And listen to what happens next. And when they raised their eyes from afar, they did not recognize him. And they lifted their voices and wept. Each one tore his robe, sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. They didn't recognize it was Job. Why? Because of the fact that he looked so different. His physical appearance was altered now because of these boils that he was going through. Just imagine that you're going through a trial so difficult that people don't even recognize you. Now let's read what happened. So they sat down with him on the ground. Verse 13. Seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him. For they saw that his grief was very great. No one spoke any words to him because they saw his grief was what? Extensive. That his grief was very now graphic. They were in total silence. You see, at least we learned this from Job's turn. The first seven days, they did the best thing they could have done. Because after that, they, it just went downhill. <laughs> what do they do the first seven days? They see someone that's mourning. They go and now you see the ministry of presence. Well, that's, that's a ministry, being with someone when they're going through a trial. They go and they're there with him in, in total silence, seven days and seven nights. It's much better than inappropriate words. How many times has somebody been going through a trial and, and, and you've been blown away by the fact that maybe you said something that you shouldn't be because you try to give them this one good liner that's going to make their situation better Well, you made everything worse? <laughs> yeah, do you see how they, they, they're just in total silence? Right? Have you ever said a little bit more than what you should have? I want to tell you, do not be afraid of silence. Sometimes we're scared of silence. We feel like we need to feel silence now with words. That we can't just be silent there with someone and just be with them. That's comforting. You don't have to fill every space of silence with words. The best way to help someone that is hurting is just to be with them. And to not try to explain everything. Explanations never heal a broken heart. They don't. 
I remember when I first started to pray for people, I would say, Lord, just give me something to, to, to just tell them as to why they're going through this. And the Lord said, don't try to explain anything. Just pray with them. Just be still. Just be silent. Just listen. Psalms 46 verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. For seven days, they did the only thing right that they did is that's being still. Something is the, sometimes the only thing right that you can possibly do in a trial is to say nothing and to be still. You see what they do here? They're still. In silence and stillness, that's when you discover fellowship in His presence. You, know, you don't discover His presence when you're speaking. You discover His presence when you're listening. Have you discovered His presence? Because it's not discovering it when you speak. It's discovering when you're listening. It's when you're saying nothing. There's a valuable message here. In silence. Because silence sometimes is the only appropriate response. Silence sometimes is the only appropriate response. And, and what have we learned already so far? That this world is fallen. And, and because this world is falling, those that love you sometimes might give you the wrong advice. Those that love you sometimes might give you the wrong... But maybe they're not understanding. Maybe they're not in God's will. Maybe they're not listening from God. You learn that God is sovereign. And because God is sovereign, you and I should prepare ourselves for blessing and also prepare yourself for adversity. Don't only prepare yourself for blessing. Go to the Bible and say, Lord, today I'm preparing myself for adversity because you will have adversity. Are you preparing for adversity or are you only preparing for blessing? Right? But also you start to learn that nothing can happen without God first allowing it. He has prepared you through that trial. He's prepared you through that trial. And know that if you had a trial today, expect more. Do not find it strange when you're going through trials. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Do not find it strange when you're going through a fiery trial. Sometimes we just cannot believe that we're going through these trials. Don't find it strange. In fact, find the value in that trial. Now, let's go to chapter 3 here, because from chapter 3 all the way to the last chapter of the book of Job, through the end of this book, we, it changes from a narrative of what we're used to reading in, in the Bible to poetry. That's why a lot of people say, you know what, this is, this is a hard book. I, I understood the first two chapters. But when have you ever heard anyone memorize a verse from the book of Job after chapter 3? Never. I've never heard anyone. I mean, they even wrote a song about chapter 1. Lord, blessed be your name, you give and take away. I've never heard anyone quote anything from chapter 3 all the way on on because of the fact that it's difficult for us because we're not used to just opening up a book and reading poetry. Maybe some of you have, but it's difficult for me because I'm not used to reading that and that's how it's read now. That's how it's written now in poetry. So we, we're going to see a lot of imagery, a lot of amplification of thoughts now, you see. But in the midst of all of that, he's holding on to his integrity and in chapter 3, we see that his grief is so great as he's learning patience, but you're going to see a Job that is overwhelmed, a Job that is dramatic. You know what happens when you're overwhelmed? You're easily dramatic. Easily dramatic. So let's read here in chapter 3, because now, as he, now the Lord has allowed this test to come into his life of these boils, that in chapter 3, he's overwhelmed, he's learning patience, but now in chapter 3, he now cries out. This is the sound of enduring pain. This is the sound that maybe sometimes you, this is how it sounds. Maybe you in your car, in your house, or maybe you speaking to a family member. After this, Joe opened his mouth after seven days, and he cursed the day of his birth. <laughs> Notice, he didn't curse God. 
He was so depressed. He was so discouraged that he cursed the day of his birth. Now, he still maintained his integrity. He's not cursing now God. His, his suffering was so intense that he's saying here, I wish I'd never been born. I wish I was never conceived because I don't want to be present in this current catastrophe that I'm in. He's hurting a lot, right? And when you're hurting, sometimes you start to say things that you later regret because you get a little emotional. And I know it was in Job. It's us as well sometimes, right? So it says this, And Job spoke and said, May the day perish on which I was born. Verse 3. Look what he starts to tell us now all the way through. And the night in which I... It was said, a male child is conceived in the day of his conception. He starts to say, you know what? May that day be cursed. May the day be darkness. May God above not seek it. May that day be cursed and God not want anything to do with it. Nor may the light shine upon it. May darkness and the shadow of death claim it. May a cloud settle on it. May that be a dark day that never would be have remembered. Never would have even occurred or happened. May the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, may the darkness seize it. May it not rejoice among the days of the year. May that even be wiped out in the calendar that my life would have even been born on that specific day or conceived on that night. This man, he's, he's wishing that he would have never been born because of the terrible suffering that he was in. Now, he wasn't suicidal in any way, but he was, very, he was going through a season of suffering and heavy pain. May not come into the number of the months. Oh, may that night be barren. May, not, may no joyful shout come into it. Have you ever heard someone say that? Man, I, I wish that they would. I hate my birthday, <laughs> you know. I hate everything about it. I wish I was never born or any of these things. Look at his suffering. May those who curse it, who curse the day, those who be ready to arouse Leviathan, may the stars of its morning be dark, and may it look for a light but have it none, and may it see the dawning of the day. Now he even says the sea monster Leviathan was a myth at the, day, at the time. May he arise as a sea monster and, and, and eat up, which was the story of the stars and the moon, and the, the night would be completely dark. And he's, he's, he's wishing now for an epic failure on the day that he was born. Let's read verse 10. Because it did not shut up the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide sorrow from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not die at birth? Listen to what he's saying here. He's cursing this day now. Why did I not perish when I came from my mother's womb? Why now did the knees receive me? Do you notice here from verse now 11 all the way to verse 26, we're going to see five different whys. Five different whys here. Why? Because of the fact that he doesn't understand why. He's asking why. However, he's still maintaining his integrity. Or why here the breasts that I should nurse? For now I would have now lain still and been quiet. I, I wish that I wasn't never born, that I would have been asleep and I would have been at rest. I wish that I would have now even never been nursed so that I would be at rest at this moment. With the kings and counselors of the earth who built ruins for themselves, or with the priests who had gold who filled their houses with silver, that I would just be history. Or, with, or why was I not hidden like a stillborn child, like infants who never saw light? Why was I not now part of a even miscarriage? Do you see that in verse 16? Because pain makes you forget 
The joy. It makes you forget the joy of the past, of what he had. Every, this man that had everything. And it makes you concentrate now on the hopelessness of the future. We should never concentrate on the hopelessness of the future. Right? We always ask why, but think about this. If God gave you an answer as to why, do you think that would make anything easier? Would you think that that would heal your broken heart if you knew why? You don't live again on the explanation. You live on the promise. That's why we shouldn't spend so much time asking on the why. And we should trust God now. Verse 17, Therefore the wicked cease from troubling, and, they, and there the weary are at rest. They are the prisoners rest together. They do not hear the voice of the oppressor. Where? In death. In death, nobody hears the voice of the oppressor. The small and great are from there, and the servant is free from his master there. It much, would have been much better than to be here. Where is he talking about? He's talking about death. Why is the light given to him who is in misery? Why is it that, Lord, you've allowed me to live through this misery and life to be bitter of soul, who long for death, but it does not come, and who search for it more than hidden treasures? I wish that I was dead. And why is it that you've given me life, Lord, through this hopelessness, who rejoice exceedingly, verse 22, and are glad when they can find the grave? Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden? Why is it that, Lord, you've given way to me whose way is hidden? How is it hidden? Let's read here. And whom God has hedged him in. Why is it, Lord, that you have not let me escape? You have hedged me in here. Why is it, God, that you have not let me escape this pain? Do you ever feel like you're in a pain that, that you cannot escape? That's the way that Job felt. Why is it, Lord, that you have hedged me in into this pain? Now, verse 24. For my sighting has come before I eat, and my groanings pour out like water. For the one thing I greatly feared, listen to verse 45. The one thing that I greatly feared has come upon me. The thing that I wanted the most has actually came upon me. And what I hear dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest for trouble comes. The one thing that I thought that I didn't want now I'm living in that misery. The one thing that I feared, I dreaded, has actually happened to me. And from verse 26, he says, I am in the absence of peace. I'm wrestling with pain. I'm suffering. I am restless. Do you find yourself restless today? You see, that's how he found himself restless, right? But now we see that his friends show up here as they're in these seven days of silence. Now they're going to respond to him. And, and, and we have to really start to notice, to not underestimate the power of these words that they're about to tell him. Right? Because words can really encourage someone in a trial. When it comes to saying something and you say the right words at the right time, what can, what can it have? It can have really a tremendous difference. Now, for Job's friend, Eliphaz was now considered the eldest and he spoke first. But notice this as he spoke first. He had faith, great faith and tradition. And he was very legalistic. He had a rigid theology. We start to learn this, that he left little or no room for the grace of God or for compassion. Instead, he said, you know what? It's your fault that you're going through this. We should never tell anyone that. He goes through him and says, it is your fault that you're going through suffering. You see how that's a legalistic approach? Job, it's your fault. You better repent. It, it must be some hidden sin that nobody knows about. There's, after all, there's no one that really sins that doesn't get away with it. And after all, there's no one that's innocent that goes through suffering. When have you ever seen someone that's innocent go through suffering, Job? That's, that's bad theology. Absolutely, you see innocent people go through suffering. Look at all the apostles. 
Look at Jesus. Innocent, yet he went through suffering. What does that teach us? That we sometimes, while being innocent, will suffer unjustly. However, we must maintain our integrity in every season. Maintain your integrity. Let's read chapter 4 here. Then Eliaphaz the Timai answered and said, If one attempts a word with you, will you become weary? If, we, if I attempt to tell you something, will you be patient? Will you let me say a word? Or will you, will, you, will you let me speak? Will you be patient here? But who can withhold himself from speaking? I must say something, this man says. This man that was going to come to accuse instead of to show compassion. He says, verse 3, Surely you have instructed many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have strengthened the feeble knees. But now it comes to you, and you are weary. It touches you, and you are troubled. Job, you were the man that was actually comforting people when they were going through troubles. But now it's come to you, and now you're losing patience. Now you're not enduring now. Now he's going to really get the attention now on a very logical way of comforting someone instead of love. You don't heal a broken heart by logic. You heal a broken heart by love. Notice what happens here in verse 6. Is not your reverence, your confidence, isn't it? Because you're blameless now. Is, doesn't that give you confidence now? Isn't it that you're holy? Doesn't it give you hope, your integrity? He's almost being sarcastic with Job. Aren't you so godly that you shouldn't be worried right now? And the integrity of, of your ways, your hope? Remember now, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the upright ever cut off? Was he, what is he saying here? Have you ever known someone that was innocent and was going through suffering? That's never happened, he's saying. But he's wrong. People that are innocent go through suffering all the time. He's showing him, he's making him believe now that he is guilty. Now, and look what he says here at verse 8. Even as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. In verse 8, he said, even as I have seen. Do you notice how he's going here with his personal experience? What is he doing? His personal experience saying, look, at just like I've seen, it is the guilty that sow trouble upon themselves. He's telling them, you are guilty, Job. And the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of His anger they are consumed. It is because you are guilty that God's judgment, His blast, and His breath is against you. The roaring of the lion and the voice of the fiercing lion and the teeth of the young lions are broken, and the old lion perishes for lack of prey, and the cubs of lioness are scattered. He's saying God's judgment comes, and even the strong lion cannot endure the judgment that God has for those that bring it upon themselves. You see that he's now positioning him to saying, well, look, you are a weak man. And God is dealing with you just like he would deal, just like he has the power to break a strong line. He has the power to break you because you're guilty. Now a word was secretly brought to me from verse 12 to 17. You see that he has this mystical, sensational vision. And he doesn't really even know why he's saying this. A word was secretly brought to me and my ear received a whisper of it. In disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night, he said, I got a vision from the night when deep sleep falls on me and fear came upon me. Look at what this, his friend says. And I was trembling, which made all my bones shake. I was so scared when I saw this vision and this dream. Then a spirit passed before my face. The hair on my body stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearances. There was silence. And then I heard a voice singing, Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Look, he's saying, I, I heard this thing in a vision. That we as weak men 
cannot stand before a righteous God. He, he's trying to educate now Job and getting him to realize that he is responsible for his suffering. Right? And let's continue reading. Can a man be more pure than his maker? Do you think that you are righteous really before God? If he puts no trust in his servants or in his angels, if you think that, that God doesn't trust his angels fully because his angels have erred or his angels have sinned before, do you not think that you are subject also to sinning, Job? If he charges his angels with error, how much more with those who dwell in houses of clay? How much more do you not think that he will, he's charging you? Notice this. He is charging you, Job, whose foundation is in the dust, who is crushed by a moth. They are broken in pieces from morning till evening. They perish forever with no one regarding. Does not their own excellence go away? They die even without wisdom. You see, you are just a fragile clay jar job understand this you're guilty my friend see this is so sad because this man here job is going through suffering unjustly he's maintaining his integrity and what does the enemy also always want to do he wants to come as an accuser he wants to come in as an accuser and i want to encourage you to read chapter five because this is where his friend continues to accuse him and to make him believe that he is now responsible for his suffering. But we know he's not. He's coming and is bringing this vision and all of this. And, and we know that noise, we know that confusion is from man. But silence and stillness is from God. That's where God wants to minister to you. This is exactly why when we're going through trials, instead of running to noise and explanation, we should say, Lord, I want stillness and silence. Because that's how you're ministered. In the trial. That's how you are ministered. That's how you maintain your integrity. You maintain your integrity by listening to God and saying, Lord, quiet my mouth. Lord, I don't want to sin with my lips. Let me be quick now to listen and slow to speak. Job is going to listen to his friends. Now come up with this argument that he is now guilty. However, he does not sin with his lips. Let's pray that God, even in the trial today, but say, Lord, let me maintain my integrity. That regardless of what takes place, I know that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Remember that this week. The anger of man does not produce the holiness and the righteousness of God. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. And we pray, Lord, that you would just show us through this book, Lord, how Job, your servant, despite of being in an environment where he was accused, an environment with those that loved him, including his spouse, turned his back on integrity, that he stood for integrity, Lord. And I pray, Lord, as those that are around us, as they turn their back on integrity, Lord, that we would stand true to integrity, that we would maintain it. I pray, God, not only that we would maintain it, God, that even in the atmosphere of those accusers, God, that we would remember that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Lord, that you would cover our mouth with a muzzle, that we would not sin with our lips, that there would be a resolution of the tongue, that we would endure with our tongues, Lord, in the trial. Lord, I pray if anyone is overwhelmed today, that you would strengthen, that you would help, that you would let endure, God.